I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. Let me take a minute and tell you about Zencaster, the company I've recorded with for over two years. I also use Zencaster to publish my podcast, and I can use them for editing everything a podcaster needs to create a podcast. Podcasting grew exponentially in 2021 and 2022, and it's not slowing down. In fact, podcasting advertising was the fastest growing channel in 2021. Why am I telling you this? If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. 15% of all active podcast creators, including me, are already using Zencaster. Go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster. Zencaster is spelled Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. There's no E at the end. Thank you. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Today on the When Dating Hurts podcast, I will be having a conversation with Elizabeth Overstreet, Elizabeth has been featured by ABC, CBS, NBC, The New York Times, and others. She is an author and is a trusted love and relationship strategist who keeps things real, as she says. Through her expert coaching and motivational speaking, she's known for creating personalized, practical roadmaps to happier, more satisfying relationships with others and yourself. She's based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she partners with individuals, couples, and companies globally. I was very fortunate to catch up with Elizabeth, and here's our conversation. So Elizabeth, I'm super excited that we found each other, and when I saw your email, I knew we just needed to talk, and now here we are. So welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you so much. Bill, thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be here with you. Good. I know we will get to talking about problematic relationships, But I just thought maybe I wanted to ask you if we could start with what a healthy relationship looks like, because I find my time talking about the toxic ones, the bad ones, you know, the ones that keep getting worse, and then healthy kind of comes in at the end and we wrap it up and we go home. So what is healthy in your mind? First of all, I'm glad you asked that question because I think we all talk a lot about toxic relationships, which is good in a way because you want to have self-awareness around what's healthy and unhealthy. Yes. But the negative part is sometimes when something healthy does appear, you don't recognize the signs because we don't spend as much time talking about healthy relationships. So exactly. when you think of the difference between a healthy and unhealthy relationship, there's a couple of things that are there. There's mutual respect. There's the fact of someone leaning into trying to have this relationship with you and showing up for you in an emotional way, in a supportive way. There isn't a rush to make you shift who you are, but more of an acceptance of who you are. There's open communication and transparency. And so a healthy relationship looks a lot different than a toxic relationship. But what's really interesting, because we discuss so much of toxic relationships, people often will question a healthy relationship. And it's often difficult to have a healthy relationship after having so many toxic ones because they seem more like the norm to us. That's a really good way to look at it. You know, one thing is interesting. A couple of interviews ago, I was talking with somebody who has been through life's ringer with her father and with people she dated, then people that dated her sister. Eventually her sister was killed. I mean, it's just the whole thing. It's really the whole nasty spectrum. One of the things she talked about was having been in toxic relationships, these tumultuous relationships. She said once she had a relationship that she would call healthy, in some ways it was kind of boring. It didn't have all the drama, didn't all the have the big crashing lows and the big highs and all the craziness. And she said that by comparison, but she just kind of didn't know what to do. She didn't recognize it as healthy because it just seemed like it was a flatliner. 
it's very interesting. You know, a lot of times when you look at how people cultivate relationships, there's some unconscious factors in there, subconscious factors and conscious factors. Yes. So you said a couple of things about her that stand out to me, the way you grew up, your relationship with your primary caregivers. A lot of that shapes what we think is a healthy relationship. I always use the term that dysfunctional behavior can become very functional. So then when you're in something that looks different from that, what you're just accustomed to, subconsciously, you're drawn to it over and over. And it is true when you're in a good relationship, it can be boring because it's consistent and people know how to maturely, in a mature way, have a conversation with you to manage through conflict, or they're not maybe yelling at you. And then there's that big makeup part of it. So there's a lot of physicality that's happening in emotional things that are happening in the brain too, that can like really push or usher you towards unhealthy relationships based on what you've observed, what was your foundation and what then became your norm. So then when you see something opposite, it feels like very unfamiliar. So I always say, you know, after a toxic relationship, the most difficult relationship to have is a healthy relationship Yes, because it just looks so much different than what you're used to. You get used to something and you get used to the bouncy ride and all of a sudden it's smooth and you might be thinking, am I missing something? Because if this is supposed to be healthy, like we said, it's kind of boring, you know, in some ways. I mean, you just don't have the upheaval. You know, you don't have to react to things quite like you used to. I mean, I'm sure for, let's just say, in your kind of typical thing we talk about, which is women on the unfortunate receiving end of abuse, at times they've got to be looking at it like they're not used to having their say. They're not used to getting their way. That would be pretty strange all of a sudden. It's like, wow, I actually got what I wanted. Look at that. And abuse is so subtle. I've you know talked to a lot of people who are victims of domestic abuse. It's not like the person just starts abusing you day one. It's a very subtle psychological process that matures over time. It's like you know, you're sitting there, you have a moment, they, and it's almost like a test, and they say something, and it may not be as dramatic that first time but it keeps getting more mm -hmm. and more dramatic mm -hmm. usually. And then it, it's a consistency to it. So if you think about that, it's almost like reversing in your mind, this relationship. And oftentimes people who are abusive, they know how to come in very strong at the outset of the relationship. I mean, they are just there, they're coming, they're coming in, they're love bombing you, they're making you feel good. That's doing things to you mentally to feel secure with them. So then by the time they are abusive, it's almost like a, a dichotomy in your mind because you're like, man, in the beginning, they were this, this and that. And you hold on to that more and more and more. And the abuse continues to happen and it becomes more and more difficult to remove yourself from that situation. So I, I think it's, you know, it's OK if you're out here listening to this and you're like, why can't I just be in this normal relationship and accept this person who's non abusive mm -hmm. to me? Because you have to unlearn a lot of those things that happen that were happening to you when you were going through the abuse. And that's very difficult. And then I think the other piece of it is even if you're in a healthy, healthy relationship, still gonna be challenges. I mean, it's still not always easy. And uh, the thing I like to point out is, you know, the Gottman Institute, they're a couple, they're a psychologist couple, and they've done research on this. And they studied thousands of couples. And they say, even in a healthy relationship where people are compatible, only one third of your problems are solved. <laughs> so two thirds of your problems are like, I feel bad already. That's, good for people to know. And we need to talk about that. Like this is a healthy relationship. You're still going to have things you don't like about your partner. You're still going to have challenges with communicating. You're still going to have conflict that remain, you know, that goes unresolved. And I think if you go in it, knowing that you can have more self-awareness around it. So when they said that, I was like, that's interesting. A lot of people in my family who've been married multi-decades. So my parents were married almost 60 years. Mine too. Yeah. Aunts and uncles, 40 plus years. And I, I remember observing these relationships and being like, man, they don't agree on this after like 50 years or 40 years in. And, but they still knew how to work through the good parts of it. Some things they couldn't, they just weren't going to resolve or they compromised on. So I think that knowledge is super important. What you said was a thought that is a question I was going to ask you a little later, but I'll ask you now. And that is that I think for some people, it's a little hard to tell between what you would call a normal, healthy relationship, or is it abusive? I don't know where the tipping point is. It's a little hard to explain that to people because like you said, I mean, you, you might go through some rough patches and you may want to sleep in separate rooms or, you know, not throw things at each other, you know, but I mean, sometimes you feel like you're on a real losing streak with this and it's like, mm, I don't know, you know, should I be considering an alternative? People I've talked with on the on, on this podcast are people that there's no question about the fact that these are abusive relationships and the things you hear. I mean, I'm just ready to call a timeout sometimes, you know, just to 
just to breathe a little bit because what what these mostly again women although there have been a couple of guys on here who've been abused but what they've gone through I mean it's it's unquestionable so I agree like sometimes abuse is very black and white right if someone is um, has a drug addiction or alcohol addiction and they're emotionally abusing you, like screaming at you, calling you out your name, or if they're physically abusive, that's mm-hmm. very clear. But sometimes to your point, there are a lot of gray, there's a lot of gray in relationships. So I think the, the best analogy I could think of is raising children. There are times like we always love our children, but there are times where we're like frustrated with our children and times where we're like, did I sign up for, to be <laughs> to deal with this? And we may want to walk away, but we don't. We're committed. We, we're focused because we understand there's going to be these different periods that our kids go through, these different times. They're going to be more independent in, the, in what they want to do, more difficult, more fun to be around. Like it, it's a part of the relationship. And I think that the challenge with people is a lot of times we go into it and we assume people should know us after a period of time. And I think that's a misnomer, mm-hmm. right? I think you are always discovering your partner. And I remember my mom saying this like 57 years, you know, she was married to my dad and she said 50 years in, she's like, there's still things I don't know about your dad. And I'm like, what? How is that possible? She's like, I know him, but there's things I'm always still learning about him. And so as I thought about this, I think about it like in raising children, our kids are different as babies from toddlers to tweens, to teens, to young adults. And we as humans are different. We evolve, you know, each decade brings different changes for us, different levels of maturity, different experiences. So all that comes to your relationship. So I don't think you ever totally know someone completely. You may know them pretty well, but I think because we're evolving as humans, that's why it could be difficult because people could say after 30 years, I don't think I knew this person, (laughs) you know, who is this person? Makes perfect sense. I mean, I think there are times when, as we are evolving over the years, I mean, I know there are times I've kind of thought, I don't know me right now. You know, I don't know why I feel this way about whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't have to be about a relationship, but, but, it, or, or you're surprised how well you handled, handled something, you know, that, you know, or you're disappointed that you didn't handle it very well, or you go through an anxious period. You know, I know what that's all about, where you feel great anxiety. And there are other times you feel like you could do just about anything. One of the things I wanted to get to with you was, in terms of a truly toxic relationship, what can you tell us are some of the feelings someone have or some of the signs of that? So someone could listening to this could say, wow, that sounds like what my daughter's going through or I'm going through or my sister or my cousin. I think, you know, one big piece is not being able to show up as yourself. So when you feel like you constantly have to be someone else, because you'll hear people talk about this a lot in toxic relationships. They'll they'll say, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Uh, like they're in this dynamic or this relationship where there's just no clarity. Like they can't really show up as themselves. They can't really resolve through things. Maybe they've tried to do, you know, counseling or, or reach out for other resources. But I mean, this is because the abuser won't let them be themselves. That's what you're saying, aren't you? Right, right, okay. right. So these are situations where you're with someone on the other end that's really shutting down who you okay. are. I think that's definitely a sign. Right. I think another sign is sometimes you're just not aligned. I think you can love someone, but they might not be the person to be in a relationship with. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes we're just, people have things that they're pretty crystal clear on that are important to them. So when people are dating and I'm coaching people around, like if they should get married, I always say, ask this person, what is their vision of this relationship? Because I think this comes back on the end Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. because sometimes people have different expectations of a relationship. Like some people are like, Hey, spirituality is number one. Or for some people, it's like family is number one. Mm -hmm. Or for some people, it's like my career is going to be at the top or my business or my entrepreneurship is so important to be clear on that. So another sign is just where you're not aligned. Like you just don't have the same core values within that relationship. And it keeps creating dysfunctional dynamics. Like you you try to resolve through, but you can't because you're just not on the same page. I think that could be another sign. And you know it because you feel it. I don't think feelings are like the whole indicator that a relationship could be going wrong. Cause I think as humans, we have a lot of feelings mm-hmm. that could go up and down from day to day. But if it's consistently where you can look at this relationship and say 70, 80% of the time, I just, I'm not feeling good. That is probably not a healthy relationship mm-hmm. for you. It's time for you to do some analysis. That makes me think, of course, a lot of it has to do with age too. You know, we could be talking about people who were 14, 15, 16. We could be talking about people in their 20s who've been working for a while, maybe did college. We could be talking about people in their 30s or 40s. You know, I can't imagine a 14-year-old being able to sit down and say, okay, well, look, here's where my priorities are. I mean, I mean, I think back 
I was 16 when I met my wife and she was just 15. If somebody were to corner me and say, okay, what's the most important thing? I'd be sitting there answering with a lot of, I really don't know. I really don't know. When I talk also in, in coach clients, I really have people focus on themselves first because a lot of times we want to place blame on our relationships on the other. Person. Oh, sure. But a lot sure. of it resides in us. Like it's a lot of it's about where are we? Like you said, sometimes we don't even know who we are, but we're expecting this other person to know who we are. And that's not fair. I mean, you're setting that person up for failure. And so a lot of things, I feel like what we attract often is where we're at emotionally, mentally, how mature we are. So when you see a pattern of you attracting certain people, like the young lady you talked about, mm -hmm. subconsciously, she may have been looking for that dynamic that she had with her dad. And it was showing up in her relationships of picking unhealthy partners. And that's why I think it's so important to clue in on who you are, because that's the foundation for the relationship. And you know this, if you've been married for a long time, I'm married. The only person you can really control in a relationship is you. <laughs> so like, you know, there's a quote that says you're 50% of the problem and 100% of the solution. Oh, that's good. That's very good. So like the onus is really on you. You can't, you can't make someone else really do things. You can, you can show by example, you can encourage, you can reinforce behavior, but ultimately we're all individuals. So that's why it's so important to be like honed in on who you are and have self-awareness around, okay, what is showing up in my life that I'm not dealing with? Because if, usually it's a pattern, it's just different faces and different names, but it's the same issue that persists. And so when you can solve through that, that's huge to helping you connect to a healthy relationship too. Back when I was, I wasn't married yet, but I had a cousin who was a year younger and I'd been dating for a while and he was dating for a short while and I was in college, he was in college. At some point he was just talking about this girl he was dating who he is married to now for a very long time as I am married for a very long time. But anyway, back in our 20, 21 year old years, you know, these sage guys. But at one point he said to me, how do I know if she's right for me? And I immediately said, I think the question is, how do you know if you're right for her? Oh, see? He said, I never thought about it that way. And I said, I, well, I know. That's why I thought I'd say that. But I said, there's there's two parts to this thing here. And like you just said, you, I mean, you need to know that other person, but you can't control that other person. But how good a match are you? You know, what can you do so you don't let down on your side of, of the relationship? You know, one thing I wanted to do if, is to go back to a term you used, which I understand, but I just thought for the audience, they might want to have your version. When you say love bombing, what does that mean? And I know that there are a lot of people I talk with, I'll mention, they'll go, what is that? Because it sounds horrible. Bombing, any kind of bombing sounds horrible. Love bombing, in my, from my interpretation, is when someone comes in hot and heavy in the beginning of a relationship. Like they are showing up, they're romancing you, they're making you feel really good. And there is a psychological thing happening in your brain. We have dopamine re receptors, which are our feel good emotions happening in our brain. And we have oxytocin, which releases when we have these experiences. So they're creating these collective experiences where you guys are connecting and bonding through this romance. And it's just like, it's overwhelming, mm -hmm. but it's actually unhealthy. Because when you are first dating someone, of course, there is that infatuation stage, that honeymoon stage. And so love bombing is just really an intense, intense movement of this thing happening with you with this person. And the thing about it is a relationship, if it's healthy, actually should move slow and steady, mm. not fast. Mm -hmm. There will be exceptions where people will say, I met someone, I'm not going to say one size fits all, but most of the time when people are love bombing, Often on the other side of that comes that emotional manipulation or that toxic, those toxic relationship behaviors where they try to control or they're trying to get you in a certain emotional space so that you, you know, you let your guard down and then they, they shift things right suddenly. And that's why I think it's so alarming to people and difficult because they don't see it coming. And plus the person has created again, this foundation where it felt really good. So it's hard in the mind to kind of separate like why did it start this way? And are they going to go back to be in this way? And why have they now gone in a totally opposite direction? Yeah, you're right. You, they set an expectation. I know I mentioned in my book that about this young woman who dated this guy and the next day she's at work and two dozen roses show up and are delivered to her. And, and she just thought she met the most wonderful guy. Went to a great place last night and his car was just wonderful, nice and clean, smelled right. And he looked just right. And, and it's tough because that's kind of what you want. I don't know if you want two dozen roses tomorrow. You know, I probably wouldn't enter your mind. 
but yeah, the, the love bombing thing, especially if you're younger, if you were in your teens, let's say, you know, if you've dated a, a bunch of different people and it happens, that probably would, I would, I don't think too many people have to come up and say, you know, this is odd. Okay. This guy is flooding you with this stuff. I think you probably would catch on. I would think, but if it's the first few people that you've ever dated, you're just thinking, wow, this guy's first class compared to, you know, some of the people that I've been stuck with in the past. So love bombing's tricky. Very tricky. And it's, yeah. And I think you don't understand it to your point, Bill, until you get more experiences, right? But if you think about the Tinder swindler and some of these, the Lifetime stories you might have watched with your wife on Lifetime, <laughs> it always starts off kind of like very extreme, very passionate. And then it just takes this really crazy turn. And though we know some of those stories are a little you know, far-fetched, um, <laughs> there is some truth in it, right? Anything that happens in extreme, I think that's another clue to a healthy relationship. Anything extremes is usually not healthy, a sign of a healthy right. relationship. So let me take you to another term that I'm sure you know quite well is gaslighting. You want to take us down the gaslighting street for just a little bit, tell our audience your version. I should mention too, by the way, it was named the word of the year in December of 2022. The idea was it was that it was searched for online 1,740% I guess over what it was the year before. I guess that's what that means. Wow. And they call it the act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. So that tells some of it. But could you give us a sense on a very practical level what gaslighting might look like within the four walls of a house? I think it's when someone constantly makes you second guess yourself. It's when you're having that conversation with someone and you're trying to hold them accountable but then they immediately shift and put you on the defense or they're constantly keeping you on the defense so that you don't call out their behaviors. That's the most simplest way I could think of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not, sometimes you're so busy defending your position because they're constantly putting you on the defense that you never, you're like, wait, I didn't get to go have this conversation with them about this thing I started the conversation about. To me, that's what gaslighting looks like in my mind. Like it's a repetitive thing and it, it could take a long time to kind of figure out like, wait a minute, something is not right here. I can never get this person to shift this behavior. Or I can never call them out on anything. If I do, they bring it right back to me and they they go somewhere else with it. I mean, another clear sign is when you can't keep people on topic. Like you start with a topic of conflict and they go way back to somewhere else mm, or they mm -hmm. come back to something you did years ago. And this is not to say that couples shouldn't hold each other accountable, but it's just when there's this consistent track of it happening where you never can get them to validate or accept or apologize or to accept accountability, that's when you're probably being guest, you know, this gaslighting that's happening. I think that's a good way to look at it. A cousin's daughter was in touch with me and she was actually, this three or four years ago was the first time that she actually used the gaslighting term. And I didn't at that time know about the movie that came out, I think in the late 1930s called Gaslight. That's kind of where it all started. But what, what would happen mm -hmm. in my cousin's daughter's case, she's married, she had three boys, and maybe she'd go down right before they went to bed and she would set up dishes and everything and the vitamins and everything, have them all laid out. And later, like she'd go down the next day, next morning, she'd go down and some of it was put away and some of it was there and it wasn't what she set it up to be. And she'd call the husband on and said, what happened here? I had everything out. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I was upstairs with you the whole time. Well, he was down there manipulating things, moving things, doing little subtle stuff. So she started to become unglued. And she really did start to buy into the fact that she thought she was crazy. So he was, he had it going very successfully. Yeah, there's a reason that word was searched a lot. And that's, that's the extreme you know, people do have nervous breakdowns and they do break in these situations where they are being manipulated. I mean, there's there's a danger to it. So yes. they should educate themselves on it. Now, one other term, this is one that, that I came upon a few months ago, and I'll see if you know this one, flying monkeys. Oh, I don't know that one. Do tell. Well, no. pretty mm -hmm. interesting. I, again, was doing a, an interview for this podcast and this woman's talking and she said, this guy unleashed the flying monkeys on me. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't have any idea. The idea is that a lot of times, and this is maybe more of a high school, maybe college thing, and maybe later on, but it seems like more of a high school thing. So let's say this young woman's dating this guy 
and he is abusing her one way or another, whatever his, his deal is, you know, he's, he's putting her through a campaign of this and then things are, maybe she's getting a little bit tired of it or she's trying to move on or whatever that is. And he has a lot of friends and it's kind of a bully story here because a lot of times the guys who do this do it to their own friends too. They, they kind of abuse them and they bully them. They kind of get, kind of get it going there. You know, it's kind of a gang kind of a thing sometimes. So what happens is, is that when the female in this story starts to loosen up on this relationship and think, you know, I don't know about this anymore. Maybe we shouldn't go out or we shouldn't do this. Then what will happen is then he will get his buddies to do his bidding for him. So he stays back and lets them do it. That could be, and that could be men or women or, or boys and girls who are his buddies, so to speak, or his gang who kind of spy on her. So it's like, well, she was talking to other guys today. And I was like, oh, really? Talking to other guys? How about that? Who's she talking with? So the flying monkeys comes from the Wizard of Oz because the witch would get her flying monkeys all riled up and crazy and send them out. And they would fly out. And of course, they were after the, you know, the cowardly lion and Dorothy and the rest of them. But that's where it came from that. But you unleashing the flying monkeys is is another thing that that's abuse of people. Yeah. That's like another level of manipulation. Really disturbing. So if you could talk with us a bit about some warning signs of a toxic relationship and just what comes to mind. I'm asked these type of things a lot of times, and I usually have a list of them in front of me. But but what do you think? Maybe not give us so much a list as just say what are what is the kind of uh, central central thought behind someone who is who is being uh, controlling or overpowering what would you say about that they're love bombing you that's probably not a good sign if they're coming in too hot and heavy i can recall this being in a relationship where i was dating someone and they so badly wanted me to tell them that i love them wanted to hear those words huh they wanted to hear those words because they didn't want to be the only person (laughs) feeling i guess feeling the love did that person tell you that they loved you they had told me they loved me okay i didn't know if it was one of these you go first deals no, it, they, they told me and I said, oh, okay. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and, and they said, well, what about you? And I said, well, I, it takes me time. And cause it was fast. It was like, it was moving so fast to me and they weren't really satisfied until they got that back. But then the relationship shifted after that. Oh. And I, I remember thinking like, cause I'm a relationship coach. Right. And so I remember thinking like, that's interesting. I've never had anyone really put pressure on me to tell that I love them back. And so that to me could be a sign, right? Of something that's not healthy where you're with someone and they're really pressing you and pressing you to like be at the same emotional level. Those are things that should evolve sure. normally yes. naturally. Pressing and pressing, that's not probably a good mm-hmm. sign because that could be a sign that that person down the road might be manipulative or they may feel like they can control you better if they feel like you're, you know, you're vested emotionally. I think that when you tell someone you love them, it should be a natural thing. You just tell them it happens. I mean, that's usually, you know, when I've been in love with someone, that's usually what happens. They say, I love you. I say, I love you back. Or they may not say, I love you back. I've had that happen to me. I can say that. I can sit here and say that honestly. And I'm like, okay. And, but I don't sit there and say, well, do you love me? Like, I just kind of let it go. And it usually evolves where they come around, you know, most, for the most part. So I think that's a sign if it's too extreme, too fast. Those are signs that it's probably not a healthy situation. And I always say it's like the tortoise and the hare. They both get to the end result, right? But one is a little slower and more consistent. And one is just like really fast. And I, and it's okay to be the tortoise, right? In your relationship is because a relationship, as you know, you've been married and I'm married. It's a journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yes. So I think it's good to see people over time and in different seasons it actually gives you more reassurance of who they are. You need to see people angry. You need to see them happy. You need to see them stressed because you're talking about being with someone in these situations anyway. You want to know how they manage it, if they can manage it in a healthy way, if they're mature in these different ways. So I know people rush a lot of times. I coach a lot of people that are like looking for these milestones in relationships. Well, this hasn't happened by this date. And why aren't they doing this? And I'm like, just take time as a gift. My mother would always say that. Take time as a Mm. gift. Give yourself that gift of time of getting to know that person and really seeing who they are. 
So when you were asking me about like toxic versus healthy, I would say time, take the time. Time should not dampen that relationship. It should enhance the relationship. Yeah, you're right about that. I love that advice. Yes. And I think people who try to absorb all your time. And again, we talked about this earlier. We touched on it. You can't really be yourself. So whenever you feel you have to separate from family, friends, those are red flags. You should still be able to have your friendships. You should still have your hobbies. You should still have your family. The only caveat I will say is if you have some unhealthy relationships with your family or your friends, maybe that's something your partner could be picking up on that's better for your mental health. That could be the caveat. But most of the time, if someone immediately comes in and they're just like, I don't like this person, I don't think you should be around this person, or they're really trying to gear you away um, from people that you've been around and you have good relationships with, family, friends, that is probably not a healthy sign of the relationship. Someone who's overly jealous. In any relationship where we love someone, of course, there could be feelings of jealousy. It's normal on some level, mm -hmm. but when it's very intense, where you feel like you can't operate with the opposite sex, yes. right? Or same sex, if you're in the same sex relationship with that person being in the room, that is another red flag. That's that, that's the beginning of that walking on eggshells. You're feeling like you can't show up. I always use this analogy. Like I, I was at a holiday party one year. And one guy, his, you know, we'll just call him Mike. He was flirty, you know, and I'm like, Mike is so flirty. And I met his wife. I said, does it bother you? She's like, that's just Mike being Mike. I don't, you know, she's like, I know where I, he's coming home with me. It's no big deal. He wasn't disrespectfully flirty, but he was just a friendly person. What I saw in that relationship was like, this guy is who he is, whether his wife is there in the room or she's not in the room. He's not disrespecting her, but it was like kind of, he's just being mm -hmm. fun. He was showing up as himself. And then conversely, I saw another guy, we'll call him Joe. And this was like a totally different guy with his wife in the room. When his wife wasn't in the room with him, we saw a more jovial, outgoing, fun, kind of like charismatic person. That tells you something. Right. When his wife was with him, he was uptight. He was very stressed. And I'm not saying it was the war. I don't know what their dynamic yes. was, but all I knew was there's friction there because this guy is totally different than we're used to seeing him versus like in this moment. Mm -hmm. So I think those are other signs you can tell when a relationship is healthy or not healthy. You could really just show up as yourself as long as you're being respectful to your partner. I'm not encouraging people to go flirt with other people. But Mike, like I said, that, that guy, he was just fun. Like he would crack jokes with people. And I just remember looking at his wife and saying, huh, you, you don't mind? And she's like, no, that's just him. But that you could tell they had a very collegial, friendly That's great. You know, relationship. Yeah. That was one of the things that bothered my daughter's friends. They felt they were, even being around her, they were losing her. And they kept saying the same thing, which was, you need to get some space from this guy. Right. You need to get some distance, some space. We're losing you. And the night before she was killed, in her next to last email to me, said those words, I feel like I need to get some space from him. She was actually using the words that she had said to her time and time again. And we learned all of this after she was gone. Well, when they got to see her, which was the other part, you talked about isolation. When they got to see her, it was rare. And then when they saw her, it wasn't like it was her. It's like a different person. You changed. Because that because he was taking up so much space in her, like her mental well-being, her physical yes. well-being. But she was a shell of who she was. Yes. And you, Bill, you touched on another thing. When someone can't give you space. Yes. Some people need space. Like some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some people are ambiverts, a mix of both. If someone can't give you space to function, like if you're not able to function in your day-to-day -day task. Yes. If you yes. are just so consumed with this relationship and what's happening and trying to appease this person, you can't do your day-to-day yes. tasks, parenting, whether it's parenting, working, just your normal things that you did routinely before, that's a toxic relationship as well. Yes. Let's say somebody is in one of these relationships and their friends are catching on to it. You know, usually your friends see it way before you do. You know that. You know, like, what is it with this guy? You know, and let's say they get to the point the person who's being abused gets to the point where, and again, I'll say she wants to seriously consider pulling out of this relationship, but she's already been threatened in some way, you know, whether it was in small ways or big ways that, you know, you're not breaking up with me. What would you tell that person? Where, where should that person turn? You know, who should they talk with? Where should they go with this? Because let's say they're really kind of real close to slamming the door on this relationship. First of all, I think it's great that a person is thinking that way even because the first thing that needs to shift is your mind around it. 
a lot of times with domestic abuse victims, they, you know, a lot of people are like, I can't leave because of this or the finances. And those are real things. They are real. Yes, they are. Once you make it up in your mind to change, it's like your mind is at least open to receive Yes. and look for, you know, options. And there are options and resources out here. So I would say like, start thinking about, okay, I want to leave. Now, how do I do this? And putting together a plan. And then really each time you hit part of that plan, that gives you that reinforcement, you can get out of that situation. But I think the other piece is realizing you don't have to go at it alone. A lot of times we go in relationships. And when I look at like my parents and like I told you, the other people, the aunts and uncles that were married, they had support around them. So if you're in one of these situations, they have people that can mentor them when they had difficult moments or say, hang in there, you know, this is normal, you know, bumping the road. But on the other side, conversely, and getting out of a relationship, we don't think of it that way. We just think, I have to figure this out. I have to get out of this relationship. But I think it should be the same thing in the sense of you building a support or community around you to hold you accountable, to help you have the resources, to help you think through the process. That's when you go to someone who's trained in domestic abuse. Because a lot of times the people who take on that work have been in those situations. Yes, they have. Where they left with nothing and they figured it out. And I think that will give you that confidence to know, okay, how do I manage through this? How do I get my kids out of this situation? And sometimes people can't do it for themselves. So sometimes it's like, I just, I don't have the strength. If you have children, do it for your children. Because what you're doing for your children is showing them too how to get out of difficult situations. You're setting, you're breaking a generational curse, right? Oftentimes, if you look at families where there's abuse or these issues, it's been happening for a long time in these family lines, right? Usually that abuser was abused. I mean, abuse doesn't just come out of nowhere. So like, if you can't do it for yourself, then use your kids or whatever you have to use, you know, as your guiding force or your reinforcement or the thing that you say, no, I got to make this different. That's a lot of times a changer for a lot of people. Once their kids are seeing or affected by this, they're just like, I got to get out. But if you don't have children building that community around you. When you're talking about getting in touch with a professional, are you thinking, for instance, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline? Are you thinking go to a, a domestic violence agency? Or I think domestic violence hotline is a great start. I think people should have therapists in general. Like I, that's just my mindset because I feel like as humans, we don't have all the answers, but there are people that can help guide us through situations. So if I was in a, a situation where I'm like, I know I need to leave. If I have insurance, I'm going to go and see if I can get a counselor. Or I'm going to see what resources are out there because you're going to need someone who can help you talk through what's going to happen when that person abusing you is going to come back and try to manipulate you again, because you have to realize you've now been in this habit or this track of being manipulated. So it's going to be very easy for you to fall back, give them a pass, try again. And you're going to need someone on that other side saying to you, no, 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 this is the history of what's happened. This has been happening. This is why you got to this point. And let's keep moving you throughout through this situation. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I know a lot of women who sit in these situations for different reasons. They don't think they can get out. They don't think financially is feasible, but they're suffering so much. And I think what people don't realize is like staying in those situations is is so hard on you. There's a book called The Body Keeps Score, and it talks about trauma on the body. I think a lot of times when we're getting diseases and things like that, some of this is staying in these really unhealthy relationships for maybe the monetary piece, right? So, but when you're sick and you're dying, the money is not going to save you. You got to take care of yourself. You got to get yourself to a healthier place. So I just think sometimes you have to make hard decisions to get to the next step. Yeah. I just want to mention on the domestic violence hotline, that is a free line Mm -hmm. and it's 800-799-SAFE, 800-799-SAFE. Pretty easy to remember. The hard part's the 799 part. You can go to them. Domestic violence agencies are everywhere. The nice thing about the hotline is if you're afraid to sit there and have that conversation with somebody, ask a friend maybe to sit with you on the line. Or for instance, if you are a friend of somebody going through this, say, look, why don't we make the call? Why don't we sit there? And if you want to get off the call, get off the call. No big deal. They're not going to send a police SWAT team to your house because something happened. You know, they'll, they want to do what you want to do. They want to help enable you to get to a better place, but you're going to do it at your own rate, your own speed. So, and you mentioned a plan, you know, it's kind of an escape plan, a safety plan on how to get out. You can't decide today to get out and get out tomorrow. You have to plan it, unfortunately, because when you want to push the button and go, you sometimes can't because there's, you mentioned children, there's financial, there's other things, you know, but you have to plan it out. 
you're never going to know enough. Your friends aren't going to know enough. So you have to get somebody who does this for a living. And as you said, probably went through this herself or himself, whoever's helping you out. The one thing you talked about people who, again, abusers who manipulate people and put them through the ringer and, you know, we can't break up. We can't break up. I had this happen a couple of years ago. It was, it was a retreat for our church. And so I was with a whole group of like 50 guys. And then about three weeks later, and it, it came out during it that I had lost my daughter in a domestic violence situation. She was killed by a guy. Anyway, this one guy called me up on a Sunday evening and he said that his daughter was in school and there was a guy there she had gone to a couple dances with, weren't really boyfriend and girlfriend, but the guy kind of thought they were. And so at some point he must have said something to her about, well, we're, we're still boyfriend and girlfriend or however he phrased it. And she tried to tell him as nicely as possible, well, no, we're not. In fact, we never were. And he somehow indicated that if they were not what he thought they were, that he can't go on living and and found his own way of saying, you know, he might kill himself. So she brings that home from school and lays it on the guy that called me from the church group. And at that time, this guy's wife was was traveling with some lady friends. And he said, I don't even want to call her up and tell her this one. You know, this is, you know, but what do I do? And he, and fortunately, he called me and a couple other guys. One was a police officer who could who could really give some great advice, too. So let me throw that at you before I give my version of what I would do. But what would you tell that guy who calls up and says, I'm really worried for my daughter. This guy's saying, you break up with me, I'll probably kill myself. Suicide is such a tough thing because it could come from a place of real pain and hurt, or it could come from emotional manipulation, right? Sure. So I think it's important when someone is in this situation, first to keep yourself away from them, not to go towards them because they're impulsive at this point. They're not acting with their right mind. There's some psychological issues going on. Sure. And this again goes back to what we just talked about. It's not your responsibility to try to save because there are professionals that are, are tasked with doing this. And I remember reading about this, like nine times out of 10, you can't. So even if you decide I'm gonna go talk to this person, try to talk them out of this, most of the time they will still commit suicide or something tragic may happen where they hurt you as well. Yes. So I think number one, removing yourself from the situation. Number two, seeking out help for them, like validating their pain and saying, I'm sorry, you feel this way. This isn't healthy for either of us, but I'm going to connect you with someone who can help you. I think those are the steps that make sense because you're still helping that person. They're not in the right state and they could put you at risk. And there are people, unfortunately, that do manipulate in this way. And they get someone who's very, you know, very sympathetic and empathetic that oftentimes they end up, unfortunately, hurting in the process. Yes. Um, yes, so they do. That piece of it, too. That kind of encapsulates what I told him on that Sunday night over the phone. I said, the first thing I'm thinking about is your daughter. Yes. I lost my daughter to a guy who lost his mind that night when she was trying to break up with him. And I said, number one is the safety of your daughter. That part is not negotiable. This is a zero tolerance. You know, it's like no contact. If you go to school tomorrow, if you even go, you have to stay away. And so what he wound up doing, the father was going to the school the morning the next day and, and got a hold of the principal or whoever counselors were and all that and sat down with them all and say, look, here's the situation that was placed on my daughter on Friday. And I'm here to make sure everything works out. I don't know literally what came of it. I know that the guy didn't do what he threatened he might do. And it was her senior year anyway, so she went off to college. And if there's such a thing as a happy ending, I'm under the impression that, that there was. I, I really don't know how to complete that story. But Well, thank God nothing else happened. So that's a good thing. Yes. Let's say somebody has been in one of these relationships. They've run the gamut from love bombing, storybook romance. Everything's just so great. Fairy tale world through isolation. Maybe there are threats of violence. Maybe there is actual violence at some point of some nature. You know, you can picture all kinds of things, you know, with somebody trying to get their way from slapping and strangulation and throwing things or kicking your dog, or there's the convincing apology stage, you know, that never happened to me before. And well, I lost it, or my dad took my keys away, or if the person's older than that, it could be something like, you know, I didn't get a and promotion or raise this year. And he promised me if I worked weekends and nights, I would. And I, I, I'm sorry, I lost it. You know, there are all those things. And you're like, oh, well, give him another chance. Give him another chance. Mm, back to the storybook romance. We go out and have a steak dinner. Here's a cell phone to replace the one I broke. 
but where I'm driving to is once somebody's out of that relationship, what would you suggest as kind of a self-healing direction? What would that be? How, how does anybody ever get past something that might have been a rough few months? Could be, I know people who've been married 30 or 40 years who've who've had this horrible situation just go and go and go. But let's say somebody gets out. How do they, how would you suggest they self-heal or is, is, is that, is there no answers? It's just a uh, hope that time makes them feel better. I think healing is a process and it's not linear. And I think there's times you can feel sad about it years later. And I think about grief, like a lot of times we say, oh, grief goes through these phases. But for anyone who's lost a parent, like I've lost both my parents the last three years. So it's been tough. Oh, yes. Um, Sorry. It hasn't been a linear process. Yeah. It's like there's that moment of immediate sadness and denial. And then there's a moment where you feel a little bit better, but then there's a moment you, you relive a memory, something triggers a memory and you go back. And so I think coming out of a bad relationship is similar, right? Yes. Because you're going to feel bad. Like, what did I do? Like, why didn't I get out of this relationship? And you shouldn't beat yourself up, number one. You should give yourself grace. Um, number two, I encourage people to journal things out. Like we don't do enough of that, I think. Just writing down how you're feeling and feeling what you feel, whether that's anger or frustration or crying, do what you need to do. Like keep flushing those emotions out. There is some value to getting things on paper and looking at it and being able to go reflect back to see how you've grown so that you don't, mm. you know, repeat those mm -hmm. things over and over, number one. And number two, there's just value in going through the process of releasing all of that. So some people are serial relationship people. They jump right to the next thing. I don't advise that. I think you should take that time, take that break and really just get in sync with yourself because in that bad relationship or that toxic relationship, you haven't had a chance to connect to yourself. In fact, you're very disconnected for yourself. So this is your time to just really journey into like, who am I? You know, what do I enjoy about life? Really revisiting that. What do I want to see next happen in my life? And don't focus so much on a relationship, but just focus on the healing. And then third, getting help, talking to someone is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why when people have addiction issues and they're trying to recover, they go to a support group. It's very impactful for them to have an accountability partner. So go through this with someone that can help you. A counselor is always good, a coach, someone who you can trust who keeps it confidential, mm -hmm. right? But who also has experience to help you guide through it. Because sometimes people rely on their friends or family, which can be good in a way, but sometimes it can be misguided based on their experiences. I was coaching someone, for example, who came from a family where he was really trying to have a healthy marriage, but no one in his family had been married before. Oh, So whenever he would talk about marriage, it was like he would get this resistance, like, why do you really need to do that? You're with this person. But he saw something different for himself. He really wanted to have a marriage. And I'm like, you're going to the wrong people. They're not going to be able to relate because they're not in the same boat. So similar to like when you're coming out of a you know unhealthy relationship, go to someone who's trained to talk about these things and have them guide you through the process. And that way you can know you're going to get a sure footing, right? As you go through your process and you can have someone that can hold you accountable, who can show you too your progress and talk about it, um, who will help you not relapse, right? Similar to someone who goes through addiction, right? It's easy to relapse at yes. any time, which is why as soon as they feel that trigger, what do they do? They go either talk to their accountability partner or their sponsor, or they go to a support group. So I think it's really, again, using you know the right, right resources as well. That's fabulous advice. Somebody who has maybe been there, you know, we talked about that earlier with the domestic violence counselors. If they haven't been there, someone in their family has had something traumatic happen and they decided they're going to devote their time to that. You know, right. they're going to help people that way because they really, they didn't just get it in out of books and seminars. You know, they, they've, they've lived it somehow. Lived it. And, right. You're an example of that. Yeah. Like there's a way you can talk to people about people who are in these relationships. That's totally different probably than someone who has just studied it. So I, I definitely, I'm glad you brought that up. Like someone who's lived through it, that's super important because usually even when people have addiction issues, they want to talk to someone who's had a similar challenge yeah. Yeah. because they want to yeah. know they can relate, right? They really understand where they're coming from. They right. don't usually- They know what it's like to fall off the wagon and get back. Exactly. And there's a woman I spoke with just really a week ago on, on an interview and she referred to it as a dating sabbatical. And she said, I gave myself six months dating sabbatical. You know, I don't care who I meet, what do I run to? I don't care what he looks like or how he acts. Eh -eh. I'm not dating for six months and she pulled it off and she said it was the best thing she ever did. She just needed time to let her head air out a little bit. 
I did that before where I just, for a year, just nothing. Like, and it gives you so much clarity. Yes. And you're able to pick up on things at such a different level because you don't have all these interfering energy, <laughs> energies of all these people you're interacting with, dealing with, dating. It's like you really know, you know, you're building your own mindset. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's nice to kind of meet yourself. You're actually meeting yourself again for the first time, maybe in years. It's like, you know, I'm not that bad. In fact, that was one of the things this woman said during her six-month sabbatical was she reached the point where she thought, like, this guy didn't like her jokes, and then she was not in a situation where it was a dating thing. So she'd say the same jokes. Maybe she used to say, all of a sudden, people are laughing. She thought, you know, I really can be funny. He didn't think I'm funny. He didn't like the, he literally didn't like the way she laughed, sound like mm -hmm. she was cackling, or it's like, people love my laugh. I like my laugh. So. Right. It sounds like he's building a bit of disdain to her and see how that can damage your psyche about who you are. You just do less and less because you know you're going to get called on it. You're going to get verbally right. spanked, of course. Yep. Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for stopping your busy schedule and giving us a good strong hour of your time. And I've seen some of the shows you've been on and I appreciate it. And I, I marvel at how you can get a question and you go. It's not memorized, you know, it's just in there and it comes out in different ways and different layers. And you you kind of went from one thing about warning signs to you shifted into isolation and you made your way into jealousy situations and all of that. And it, you know, it really does paint the picture. So I think that people listening in can really understand and maybe identify in, in many cases with what their friend's going through or what they are going through in, in a relationship. So but I just want to thank you and I appreciate everything about you. I'm glad we got to meet each other and, and I, for our audience to be able to hear your experiences and your thoughts and your wisdom. So I just think it's great. Thank you. Yeah, Bill, thank you for having me on the show. The respect is mutual. I, I respect the work that you're doing to help people in these situations because sometimes people, when they're in these situations, they're just trying to survive day to day. So if you can give them a nugget of hope or just a little bit of you know information to help them navigate through it, it's literally life-changing work that you're doing. And if people want to learn more about the work I do, my name is Elizabeth Overstreet, and I'm a relationship expert. And I have a website, elizabethoverstreet.com. There's lots of content on there about healthy relationships. And then all my social media handles are on there as well. So I'd love for people to check it out. They really should. I mean, I spend a good amount of time. I hope to get, get you back here sometime in the near future. Thanks so much. All right. Let's definitely do it again. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play Survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil, all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.